A couple of years ago, we heard we had a hundred billion dollar surplus, and we hear these big numbers. Now we have a deficit. We're estimating that we currently face a 68 billion dollar budget deficit. The governor's office also identifies about 30 billion dollars in annual deficits. It's not just the upcoming budget year, it's the subsequent years after that. In order to solve that problem, we wouldn't just need 30 billion of higher revenues. You would actually need 50 billion in higher revenues to solve a 30 billion dollar problem. The reason for that is... My guest today is Gabriel Patek, California's legislative analyst. Today, he's going to share with us why California is facing such a huge budget deficit and how it may last a few more years. He's also going to share with us what it will take to solve this budget crisis. This decline, why is that? What, what happened? The part of our economy that drives our revenues is very sensitive to interest rates. Are you worried about where we are headed with our budget? I'm Siamai Korami. Welcome to California Insider. Gabe, it's great to have you on. Welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be here. We want to talk to you about our budget issues. You guys estimated we have $68 billion of budget deficit. Right. The governor says we have $38 billion, and right. some of these numbers have changed. Can you tell us what's going on? with? So in early December, our office released what we call our fiscal outlook, where we do these estimates before knowing what the governor will propose or what will be in his budget. And at that time, we estimated that for the upcoming budget year, the state was facing a $68 billion budget deficit, uh, meaning we would have you know, revenues insufficient to cover our expenditures by that amount. In January, the governor released his budget proposal and identified a $38 billion budget deficit. And as I say, even for California, a $30 billion problem is a sizable one, no notable, and warrants some ex explanation. And what it comes down to are some different assumptions, different revenue estimates, because we each develop those independently. And so we come up with our own uh, estimates of this problem. So of the governor's $38 billion problem compared to our $68 billion problem, we think the difference between our two offices is actually smaller than that. Uh, that. That makes it sound larger than it is. And there are two reasons for that. One is that when the governor estimates the expenditures, he's assuming that there will be certain changes to the expenditure base that just occur automatically, essentially. Um, the largest one is a change in funding for our education system. We have a constitutional provision that di dictates how much we spend on education the part he's assuming will change would actually require a vote of the legislature. So we don't make that assumption. But by making that assumption, he's reducing expenditures. And as a result, he, his, his budget deficit in our calculation of it is actually more like $58 billion. So then you can see that's, that's wow. a lot closer to the $68 billion. And then the remaining $10 billion difference is because the governor's office has for the most part, the main part of the difference is that the governor's office has higher revenue estimates than we do. Our revenues are, are about $15 billion lower than what the governor's assuming. And then there are some other adjustments that make up the difference. But uh, it's these two things. Uh, the governor is making these assumptions on the baseline changes to our expenditures that shrink the deficit in his, in his document, and then higher revenue estimates than what we have. And um, 
when you put these things together, we, we come out at 68 billion. Now, Gabe, uh, for Californians that a couple of years ago we heard we had a hundred billion dollars mm -hmm. so surplus, mm -hmm. and we hear these big numbers. Mm -hmm. you know, now we have a deficit. What's the impact? Well, the impact when you go from a very large surplus to a very large deficit is that the ability of the state to fund programs or address problems facing the state changes. A couple of years ago, we had very large surpluses were able to allocate very significant resources to long-standing problems facing California. Homelessness, uh, transportation, resource and natural resource and climate related issues received very large allocations from those surpluses. But when we turn the corner and now we're facing budget deficits, we don't have the resources to continue to fund those. And so, in fact, we have to pull back on some of what we thought we would have to fund those initiatives. And the, the result is we just have fewer resources to address some of these problems. For the most part, those large surpluses were allocated on a one-time basis to tackle some of these large issues that I've mentioned. They didn't for the most part, they didn't go into our existing governmental programs to build up our ongoing expenditures. Uh, and so it, when we change into this deficit environment, we have to make pullbacks on our spending commitments. It's primarily affecting those, those larger areas that I've mentioned, not so much our ongoing programs. So for the time being, some of our safety net programs, our health care programs, uh, economic stability programs that help people, like our CalWORKs program, that are kind of living more on the edge. Some of those programs are less impacted, but um, that's the ultimately the impact that it has on Californians. And uh, do you see these budget uh, issues continue in the future? What are your thoughts on that? Unfortunately, we're estimating that we currently face a $68 billion budget deficit for the upcoming cycle, that for the fiscal year that begins in July of this year. And then for the three subsequent years after that, we estimate about $30 billion of annual deficits each year after. The governor's office goes through a similar exercise, making similar calculations estimated into the future and also identifies about $30 billion in annual deficits after the budget year. And, and why is that? The basic reason is that our expenditures are growing right now at a faster pace than our revenues are expected to grow. And we live in a state, like many most other states, the state constitution requires us to balance our budget. And so we're unlike the federal government. We cannot just go out and borrow in the debt markets to cover the difference. So as we look out ahead, the cost of our programs that we've already committed to would exceed the amount of revenue we currently estimate will be available. And the amount that we're estimating that it would exceed our revenues is about $30 billion per year. Now keep in mind, you know, we have a over $200 billion budget. So... Um, to put it in perspective, you're talking about 15% of our expenditure base. And this is a pretty big budget compared to other states, right? When I go to meetings with other state uh, fiscal officers like I am for our legislature, oftentimes just our budget reserve 
will be multiples of their entire budget. Yeah. But it has to do with the size of our population and the size of our economy and just the size of California in general. And uh, is this, the, so the revenue problems we have, is it because some people will say, we've been covering the California exodus in this show a lot. Uh, is this because of the exodus or are there any other factors? Right now, it's other factors with pr probably some amount of net out-migration on the margins contributing to it. It's a complicated question that we've continued to follow for a long time in our office. We've had a net out-migration in total for some years now. For a long time, the main, the main part of the population that was leaving the state was at the lower and middle income spectrum yeah. of, this, of the state. More recently, it's become much more across the board, including the high income taxpayers have been uh, showing to have net out migration as well. And the high water mark for that occurred in 2021. That's the most recent data that we have for this because it comes from, we base this off of IRS migration data. The question is, what impact is that having on our revenues? Well, in 2020 and 2021 and 2022, our revenues were growing like gangbusters. We had 30% general fund revenue growth in 2020-21 and 20% growth in 2021-22, those two fiscal years. And so if the net out-migration, particularly of the high-income people, was having a major impact on our revenue base, you'd think that that would be inconsistent with the level of revenue growth we saw. Now, I don't think this is a thing, a, a concern that we should dismiss because it could be continuing. We could have even more people leaving. And at some point, you do run the risk that it's going to have a material impact on our state revenues and you know some of our uh, business activity that helps drive the economy in the state of California. So it's not something we should dismiss. But so far, I think the data is, are telling us that it's somewhat on the margins of the, the main thrust of our revenue trends. So in a year like I was talking about, maybe it's a couple of billion dollars out of our, out of our total. So it's not helping the situation, but I don't think it's explaining the budget problem that we have right now. It is, it is uh, more on the edge. So what is the main factor for yeah. the budget problems we have now? There are a couple of factors. For one, when we adopted our budget for the current fiscal year back in June of uh, 2023, the Department of Finance did multi-year fiscal estimates at that time. At that time, they estimated that for the upcoming year, we would have a $14 billion deficit. So we were starting off in the hole. We're only required to balance the budget for the budget year that we're in. If you estimate that future years aren't balanced, you can deal with it later. So we started off with that, and then our revenues really began to erode. We were experiencing revenue erosion throughout 2022, and it continued throughout the entire fiscal year. Revenues that year were down 20%. Then on top of that, what happened last year was there were some floods in early 2023 that led the IRS to delay our tax filing date from April to October, and then they moved it to November. So then 
in the spring of last year, we were developing the budget without knowing the full set of data on our revenue trends. Normally, we get a lot of very important information in April that tells us a lot about what our revenue picture is for the upcoming year. Well, we did the, our best to make some estimates. We saw a turn. We saw that it was declining. So we caught the, the, the inflection point. We just didn't capture the magnitude of it because lo and behold, what we found out later in November is that revenues in that last fiscal year declined by 26 billion. And um, so then looking ahead across the whole budget window, when you add that 26 billion. So you weren't expecting the 26 billion. Decline. We were expecting something smaller than that. We, we were expecting something more like um, five to seven billion dollar decline. Yeah. And so it, it was greater than what we estimated by about 17 or 18 billion. Yeah. And, and this decline, uh, why is that? What, what happened? Basically, it looks like to us that the state of California's economy, particularly the part of our economy that drives our revenues, is very sensitive to interest rates. And as you would recall, over 2021 and 2022, the Federal Reserve began raising interest rates 11 times, aggressively increasing interest rates to try to bring down the, the rate of inflation in the U.S. And for California, that seemed to really weigh on our high-tech sector, high-tech investment, venture capital, uh, the type of investment that really fuels new business startups in that sector and that really uh, gives the uh, businesses the confidence to go to the market and issue you know, initial public offerings or IPOs. And those types of activities are very important for our state tax revenues. And what we saw is a very dramatic drop off in, in that type of activity. We saw an 80% decline in IPOs from 21 and 22 into 2023. And without that kind of activity, the economy is doing okay, but that particular sector had really uh, slowed down in terms of uh, new investment. And it really just uh, had a very outsized impact on our revenues. Before we continue, we would like to thank Shen Yun for sponsoring this channel. I lived in China for two years and experienced two different Chinas. One is the China we know now, unfortunately with communism. And the other is ancient Chinese culture with 5,000 years of history, strong values, ethics and morality that has been lost. Shenyun Performing Arts is reviving this 5,000 years of Chinese traditional culture. It takes you back in time to magical world of ancient China with a unique blend of brilliant dancing, beautiful costumes, and legends coming to life. Go to shenyun.com to find out the schedule and theater information. It's a lifetime experience you don't want to miss. Just so inspiring. It makes me want to go dance. Breathtaking. I was very impressed. I'm taking my program and I'm going to mention it on the news because I think it's a great performance and people should see it. What I loved about the show was the authenticity of it. It was taking me on a journey. Exceptional. The technique involved that. The thousands of hours of training people just float. Everything was exact and then they worked to the exact moment and it was beautiful. You go away feeling with a smile in your heart from it. Have to come. 
life-changing. Make sure you see it. Make sure you see it. Don't wait. Don't Get your tickets wait. now. So, Gabe, uh, the, you mentioned the economy has been growing slower and slowed down in California, but the economy is okay everywhere. The unemployment rate is, is low. Why are we facing this issue in California? Right. Well, uh, a couple of years ago in May of 2022, our office began to see some warning signs about the economy. We had at the same time very low unemployment and high inflation nationally. Historically, there has been a recession within two years when that happens. We had a, you know, certain signals coming from the bond market. They refer to it as an inverted yield curve, where short-term rates had been moved up higher than long-term rates. So there were these warning signs out in the economy, and we, we cautioned that the economy could be at risk of going into a slowdown. We weren't alone. That was a consensus view. Lo and behold, we go fast forward a couple of years here, and for the most part, the U.S. economy seems to continue to be doing pretty well. However, when we look back at the last year or so in California, what we see is that although they don't declare recessions at the state level, that's more of a national concept, it does look like California's economy went into something like a recession in the fall of 2022 and the first quarter of 2023. So in the past year, we've seen our unemployment rate increase from 3.8% in August of 2022 to 5.1% now. There are 200,000 more unemployed workers in California than there was then. And what I think it goes back to is really just how sensitive California's economy is, in particular parts of our economy, are so sensitive to uh, the changes in the interest rate environment. It's impacted our housing market, it's impacted certainly our high-tech sector, which is so dependent on new investment. And that type of investment activity is very sensitive to interest rates. And so from what we can tell, that has been the reason that California has somewhat decoupled from the rest of the country. And uh, you know, it's uh, still not to be known for sure whether or not we'll have a downturn at the national level, but things are looking pretty good on that front. And uh, the question is where we go from here in California. And most of our, a good portion of our tax revenue in the state comes from these uh, stock sales, IPOs, right, doesn't it? Oh. Yeah, well, we receive uh, a significant, you know, share of revenue from capital gains. So just the regular activity, you know, in the stock market, when people generate capital gains, we benefit in our tax revenues from that. But then other parts of, uh, this type of investment activity do generate uh, equity type of income that's not capital gains, so it appears in our with income tax withholding portion uh, of collections, but it's also very sensitive to that type of activity, yes. And the stock market is at record high now, yeah. right? And, yeah. and is, uh, you guys are anticipating still we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a deficit. Yeah. How does that work? Shouldn't it be okay? Everything well, that's a good question, and that is a, a lot of people wonder, gee, the stock market's come way back. Why, why isn't our uh, budget problem resolved? There are a couple things to think about. The first is that most of the increase in the stock market was incorporated into our models that we developed, and so uh, 
through December, basically, when we did our revenue estimates. So we've had some continued movement up the you know, appreci appreciation of equities since then. But most of the gains that we saw in 2023 were incorporated into our forecast. And when we look back, what we see is that for California to benefit the most, what you need is not just an increase in the stock market, but a sustained increase. It needs to go up and stay up for a while. In addition, the increase in the stock prices need to be accompanied by this type of activity that I was referencing, strong venture capital investment, strong trends in our IPOs, startups, business expansions, particularly in Silicon Valley. That type of activity has not really resumed in the way that it was before. And so we're, we're missing out on that component of it. And that's, that's the, the, the main reason that so far the stock increases haven't really translated to tax revenues. So we need the real economic activity, not, not just not the just financial the, markets. Not uh, just the financial markets, right, right. And what about other states? You know, there's only two states, California and Iowa, that have, that have this budget problem, right? Other states are fine. Well, no, there are some other states that also have uh, budget problems. There are 15 other states that have seen revenue declines in 2023. Doesn't necessarily mean they have budget deficits, but they have seen revenue declines. And some of the other states now facing deficits include New York, New Jersey. Some states like Alaska have some structural economic problems that are contributing to their deficits. But the ones that are more similar might be the New York and New Jersey where there's a more important financial market aspect to their revenues. Uh, what we see when we look, look across the country, and I don't follow it as closely, of course, as I follow California, but I, I try to keep up with some of the research on it. And it seems like when many states received large infusions of federal fiscal aid in response to the pandemic, some of the states reduced their taxes in response to that, and some of them increased their spending. So lower revenues and higher spending, maybe it was something that could be covered when you had the infusion of these federal resources coming in, but it's not something that they you know, can uh, sustain as that, as that funding recedes, which it is now. So now that we move into this post-pandemic era, some of the uh, maybe less well-advised fiscal decisions that they made are now becoming exposed. And now what's the path forward for California? What are your thoughts? The budget process is really just beginning and there are some key choices that the legislature will have to make. One is what revenues should we assume in the upcoming budget? Should we assume what the governor's proposed or should we go with something like what the LAO has uh, estimated? The governor's Department of Finance is estimating that revenues will grow by 8% in the current year. And that's really one of our main differences right now, is when do we expect revenues to recover? The Department of Finance says it will be this year. Our office estimates it will be next year that we'll start to see some growth. Now, historically, when you see a big downturn, like I mentioned, a 20% downturn in revenues last year, Historically, you're going to stagnate for a year or two before you start to come back. And also, we're not really seeing it in the cash collections on the month-to-month -month, uh, basis that we track. 
the state's collecting tax collections every month, and so far they are tracking more closely to what we are estimating than what the governor's office has estimated. But that's the first thing. You know, you have to understand or make an, e an estimate of how much revenue the state will have. And we recommend that the legislature should consider using a lower revenue estimate than what the governor's putting forward. The other thing is, of those very large allocations that the state made in recent years from those, those large surpluses, we really think that the, the policymakers ought to consider pulling back as much as possible from the one-time allocations that they made. The more of that that they do, the more they will be able to preserve some of their budget reserves now and other forms of budget resilience, which will help protect the state in the uncertainty that lies ahead. As I mentioned, we're already facing deficits in those out years, so the more we can kind of hold on to some of our reserves now, it will help us weather those tough times ahead. But in order to do that, we really need to maximize the amount of one-time spending we reduce this year. And we think there's probably more out there in across the budget than what the governor has proposed. And another thing is the governor has proposed a fair amount of uh, spending side adjustments. Among those are things like delays. Delay spending this year and push it to a subsequent year. There are $8 billion of delays in the governor's budget proposal. And we think that could pose some challenges because while it will help this year, it's going to add to the problem next year. His proposal would add $5 billion in expenditures to the next fiscal year, $2 billion to the year after that, and $1 billion to the year after that. And so when you're already facing budget deficits, um, that type of a proposal actually exacerbates the challenge that, that they're facing. So the governor's office, the finance team, they're thinking that the revenues will be there the next year and they're pushing this to the next year. Is that what they're thinking? The governor's office is assuming that revenues will be higher next year. And that the combination of higher revenues and what he's proposing, such as those delays, will help them balance the budget next year. But it does leave, like I was saying, $30 billion in annual budget deficits after that. And just to further describe the magnitude of that challenge, in order to solve that problem, we wouldn't just need $30 billion of higher revenues. Let's just hope that revenues will be higher to solve the problem. Well, $30 billion wouldn't do it. You would actually need $50 billion in higher revenues to solve a $30 billion problem. Why? The reason for that is we have constitutional formulas. So for every new dollar of revenue that we get, about 40% of it is required to go to kindergarten through community college level of education. It's one of our constitutional provisions called Proposition 98. So in order to close this currently estimated $30 billion budget deficit in a future year, you need $50 billion because you're going to have to take $20 billion off the top to fund increases to education and then have the remaining $30 billion to help solve the budget deficit. So it's really not something that we think is uh, plausible to count on as a, for as a solution. It's just that we'll, we're not likely to grow out of this problem, in other words. So out of every dollar that comes in, 40% goes to education, no matter w what dollar comes in, no matter the amount, right? That's right. Come hell or high water, 
basically every dollar of new revenue that comes in, 40% goes to education. We call that the Prop 98 side of the budget, and the 60% of the other, ha other portion is the non-Proposition 98, is how we refer to it in the office. Are you worried about where we are headed with our budget? You have an overview that most of us don't, and you have the, the skill yeah. set, and, and you know, you see, you've seen the data. As I sit here today in February of 2024, the problem that the state faces from a fiscal standpoint is notable and somewhat daunting, but it's not what I would call a crisis in the, in the sense that it's not like it was in uh, the period around the Great Recession, 2008, 2009. At that time, we went into that recession with almost no reserves, essentially no budget reserves at all. The state also had very weak cash across the, the funds of state government, such that we couldn't really even fund our budget commitments on a cash basis. Right now, we have plenty of cash liquidity across the state, and we have historically high budget reserves. And we've made all of these recent allocations to one-time spending purposes, so we can make these reductions without So really we can take the money back? Yeah, Is we can take it back without without really having draconian impacts on important on programs. On the other programs. Yeah, on, the, on sort of our ongoing programs of state government. And so I don't think that I would think of this as a crisis in that sense, but it's going to require some difficult and hard choices. And, you know, as we're talking about here today, it's not just the upcoming budget year, it's the subsequent years after that. And so it's going to require a sustained effort and a sustained discipline when it comes to setting state fiscal policy. So we have to act fast and, and take drastic measures to protect ourselves for the future years. Is that Well, it's a, good, it's, a, it's a good point. The sooner we act, we can pull back more of those dollars that I've mentioned, the ones that we allocated in recent years. If we wait to uh, act until later, that money is going to go out the door and now be unavailable to pull back. So pulling back and acting sooner uh, helps our situation. Yes, for sure. For our audience to understand, so 40% of the, the budget of the state goes to education. So yeah. Can you explain this Prop 98? Well, in 1988, the voters passed a proposition called Proposition 98. And what it did was establish a minimum, a minimum guarantee, an amount of funding that goes to our public school system, kindergarten through community college level. And there are some complicated formulas that go into it, but as a shorthand way to think about it, about 40% of our revenues every year go to education under this uh, proposition. Now, the legislature with a two-thirds vote could provide less, but you know it's an important area that the state funds and it's not something they would easily want to do. Um, and so uh, anytime we're thinking about the state budget and uh, what our options are, that part's really not that discretionary. The other 60% is more discretionary, and so the legislature, when it has budget deficits that it's facing, usually has to focus on this other 60% side of the equation. We are allocating more money to, to, to education. Isn't it more than 40% that we're allocating right now? The schools get some additional funds 
on top of Proposition 98. And when you say education, you might also be thinking of our university system, the UC and CSU system. So they're different from They this. are different. They're not a part of that. But we do also provide state funding to those systems. And so when you add that up, of course, it would be higher than 40%. Yeah. People are bailing on California in record half numbers. of Californians are considering moving. It's a domino effect. What's happening? Where is the state headed? People were tricked and fooled. We're being told everything's fine, this is normal. People are making money off our problems. We love regulations in this state. We just love it. We can control how people live. To me, it seems like you're a watchdog for the legislature. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us more about your office? Because it's different from the, the governor and then the rest of the administration's yeah. finance department. Yeah, no, sure. Uh, it, it's a good phrase that you used. We often refer to ourselves as the eyes and ears uh, of state government for the legislature. We were created in 1941 to uh, serve really as a counterpoint uh, to the governor's department of finance but you know, instead working for the legislature. So my bosses are the, are, in the, are the legislative members themselves. We were created at a time when California's economy was going from a more agricultural-based economy to more industrial style of economy. The economy was becoming more complex. The state budget itself was becoming more complex. And that was really what was leading to the need or the desire for the legislature to have an office like this dedicated to serving them. And we were the first one in the country like this. And now all 50 states have some version of this type of office. Sometimes they serve, they structure it slightly differently, but there's some version of it in all the states. And in fact, in 1974, when the Congress established the Congressional Budget Office, they modeled that off of the Legislative Analyst Office. So we you know, have a proud, long uh, history of, of you know, being known for this kind of work. We're a nonpartisan office, and we pr provide primarily fiscal policy analysis and advice to them. Uh, and another important area that we work on are the state uh, ballot initiatives. So I always tell our staff or remind them, this is the one area that we uh, do our work where we're not doing our work for the legislature. Now we're doing it for the other policy-making body in California, which is the voters themselves. And so our mission is to provide fiscal estimates, impartial fiscal uh, assessments of what the impact of a voter initiative uh, would be. And so uh, we don't recommend how people should vote, but we try to uh, do analysis and uh, describe for them what would be the cost or benefits from a fiscal standpoint to the state of doing whatever initiative it is before us. 
And you can read that analysis in the voter information guide that most of us get mailed uh, before elections. So that's an important thing that we do. But really our wheelhouse is working on the state budget and analyzing the state budget for the legislature. And you know this is really the, the season that we're in right now. The governor's budget proposal comes out in January and we go about digging into that, unpacking it, recalculating formulas, uh, questioning the assumptions that they're making, developing our own estimates of what revenues uh, are likely to be or caseloads in various state programs. And we provide the legislature with this analysis. We provide it in written form, in, in reports that people could see on our website or we provide it in direct testimony in public hearings of the legislature. And you know, we, uh, because we work for the legislature and we're funded by the legislature, our job really is to not be afraid to call it like we see it and call out where we see shortcomings or uh, you know, wh where we think there could be uh, faulty assumptions being made in the governor's budget proposal. And so that's just our job. And I think, you know, even the governor can recognize, I think, the benefit of that. He, he, re he referred to us in his press briefing as uh, partners in this. And I think that's fair. We're all trying to do the best for California. But, you know, it comes sometimes with constructive criticism. And that's just what we try to apply to the governor's proposals for the benefit of the legislature. It's for the benefit of them as well, because it's yeah. always good to hear from somebody that will criticize, and then a little bit of criticism is good, so they can I think actually so. make things better. I agree with that, yes. Now, Gabe, do you have any other thoughts for our audience? Well, one of the things that I talk about with the staff that I work with in our office is that um, we often underestimate the degree of uncertainty that we face. And while we can't know the future for sure, the LAO in our office tries to use the data and the evidence that we have, what our historical experience is, is, has been, to inform a view that, that almost certainly won't be right exactly, but at least we're providing a view that's based on that historical record. And policymakers can use it, and Californians can use it. It's available to the public. Most of our analysis is on our website and available to the public. But that's something that we try to do because while they have to grapple with the political world, we are, in a sense, liberated from that. That's not our job. Our job is to just call it like we see it, do the analysis in an objective way, and then let the policymakers take into account those other calculations. But for Voters and for Californians, when you read the analysis from our office in your voter information guide, or if you go to our website, I do want to assure people that um, it's a, one of our most important principles is to do our work in an impartial and objective manner. And at least in, despite all the other sources of information that are out there these days, at least you can know that that's the approach that we take. So we can trust your, your research. You can trust our research, yes. Gabe Petek, the LAO of California. It was great to have you on California Insider. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you.
If you haven't checked out CaliforniaInsider.com, we highly recommend you do that now because we're going to have a lot of news and videos there. And on top of what we have there right now, we're building a really big platform to cover what's happening in California. So you can be informed. We're going to have more shows, more videos from all aspects of life in California. Go to CaliforniaInsider.com and we'll see you there.